outstandingmuslimparent.com Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Everyone, this is Nadir bin Nasir from outstandingmuslimparents.com. And alhamdulillah, I'm extremely excited because uh, we have a, a brother I'm going to interview today who specializes in great techniques on parenting, especially the part we're going to talk about today with emotional parenting and really being conscious. And alhamdulillah, I think you will really appreciate um, his background, what he does, and the information that he'll share with us today. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce many of you to Shahid Ahmad. Akhi, can you hear me? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I do, again, appreciate um, you taking your time, and I'm sure everyone that's watching or listening is um, excited um, to hear another perspective. It's a pleasure, and I'm excited too, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. You know, without any Muslim parents, I know we have a lot to cover today, but a short amount of time to do it. But without any Muslim parents, we also talk, talk a lot about um, raising your children in the West and having different techniques and different principles in a different landscape, I would like to, you know, just ask you to share a bit of your background and your experience uh, when it comes to parenting and coaching and, and so on. Okay. Bismillah rahman rahim Well, I uh, run my own company called Exquisitus Limited, and we specialize in uh, personal development training. Uh, using NLP techniques and also within the realm of parenting as well, using emotional intelligence as well as NLP. Uh, the reason I got into parenting was I uh, did a lot of work in schools in helping children to uh, pass exams. And as a result of that, I found that the academic intelligence was there, but a lot of children weren't doing well because they couldn't deal with the stress, they couldn't deal with the emotions of exams. So I went and developed the uh, UK's first uh, curricular approach to emotional intelligence. And alhamdulillah, we had some fantastic uh, success in introducing that to, to mainstream schools here in the UK. And over the last eight years, we have had something in the region of about 30,000 children that have gone through our hands. And alhamdulillah, uh, tabarakallah, we have an 85% success rate in helping them to improve their exam grades. Um, alhamdulillah, many of the techniques are, are taken from uh, NLP and also from my own personal experience in that I'm the oldest of my generation in my family, so I had a lot of experience with you know, helping with uh, younger siblings, cousins, and uh, 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 family members. And I also, alhamdulillah, have two boys of my own. Um, one is 14, the other one is 9. The 14-year-old, alhamdulillah, did his GCSE exams after we homeschooled him at the tender age of 13, passed, mashallah, with uh, A grades, and alhamdulillah, as a 14-year-old, is now doing his A-levels at college, and he has a uh, wish, inshallah, to be uh, an astronaut, so he's in a, in a scientific college studying his A-levels. Uh, my other child, who's nine years old, alhamdulillah, he is op- absolutely opposite to my older child. Uh, he needs a lot of encouragement, and he's one of those children who needs emotionally intelligent uh, approach to him. And alhamdulillah, when we took him out of school, we've been homeschooling him as well, he was perhaps about two levels behind where he should be for a seven-year-old. Now, as a nine-year-old, he's alhamdulillah four levels ahead. Not only that, but both the boys, are, mashallah, are also on their way to doing the hefs of the Qur'an. Uh, the younger one has, mashallah, five just completed. The older one has seven just completed. Uh, and they do lots of other activities as well, which help us to actually mold them, not only into young men, but into decent 
upright young men who will fly the banner of, inshallah, Islam, but also will be responsible citizens who will make a positive difference to whoever they interact with, inshallah. Inshallah, I mean, tabarakallah. It, it definitely sounds as though you take a proactive approach when it comes to parenting and understanding our youth, of course, which is highly encouraged. So, jazakumullah khair. Again, we do appreciate you and the insight that you will provide for us today, inshallah. Inshallah. So, now you mentioned um, schooling, and you mentioned homeschooling, your own children, but you also mentioned initially um, helping students do better on their exam grades and that academically they were fine. However, is the emotional piece that was causing the problem. Can you please maybe explain um, the difference there? Yeah, certainly. Uh, academically, children learn throughout their lives. Children learn in a variety of ways, and the most uh, obvious ways that children learn is through observation, through imitation, and through repetition. This is whether they're in the home scenario or whether they're in a learning scenario such as school or college. And as they go through their studies, they can actually pick up lots of things, and they can retain them as well. But when children get put under pressure at exam time, the mind goes blank. And they can't recall what they were supposed to recall. They can't recall the hours of study they have spent. And therefore, they, they flunk their exams and they don't do very well. And that leads them to a life of struggle if they don't do something about it. So when we considered this, we looked at the emotional aspect and we thought, what is it about these children that's making them fail the exams? Because academically, their in-house tests prove that they know what they're talking about. Why is it that in an exam situation they fail? So we did some reviews and we took a class in, in a particular school of children. We helped to develop an outstanding lesson, an outstanding science lesson. We took half the kids and we said to them, what we want you to do is before uh, you go home tonight, we want you to spend just five minutes just going over what you've already learned. And then when you go home for the first week, every day, just spend 10 minutes in the evening going over what you've learned, but most importantly, do so in an aspect where you are actually cool, you're calm, you grounded yourself, we taught some breathing exercises, and of course these were all related to controlling their stress. The other half of the class we said nothing to. We went back after seven days and we ran a test. The class that had been practicing the breathing exercises, the class that had been practicing you know, the, breath, uh, the uh, stress control exercises, they scored on average 83% in the test. The class that hadn't been scored 70%. So this wasn't really you know, a, a big gap. So we said we want them to continue, and with the class that was practicing the breathing exercises, the stress, the stress control, we told them that they must do this once every two or three days, and they must only revise for five to ten minutes, so not a lot of stress, but just continuous, and that they must stick things up on the wall where they will see them regularly, so it becomes a part of their psyche. Again, the other class we said nothing to. We went back after 63 days, and actually this is where the, the, the uh, emotional impact really hit us as well. The class that who had been revising, who had been controlling their stress, who had been keeping calm, under control, they scored um, 70% on average after 63 days. The class that had been doing no revision, had not been given any tips or techniques uh, in terms of stress control, they scored only 14%. So when we actually went and analyzed and we spoke to the children who had achieved the 70%, we asked them what was the key uh, aspect of their improved results. And without any exception, they said that they felt more in control of themselves. Their mind was calmer. They were, had the time to read the questions, and they had time to consider the answer before they came. And this all came down from the fact that they were controlling their stress. 
because stress takes over your unconscious mind and it doesn't let you perform. Absolutely. How many that? Now, I mean, it is amazing with results. And we talk about, many parents, of course, talk about stress, but they usually talk about it from the perspective that they're stressed out you know, <laughs> with their children. Now, what yeah. were the ages um, of this study group? Uh, the ages were between 12 years old and uh, 15 years old, this, and this is in the final three years of the high school here in the U.K. Right, okay, alhamdulillah, excellent, excellent. Now, how can, I know we have parents that will be um, looking for information regarding their children so far as um, usually between about four years old all the way up to college age. Yes. Mm-hmm. What is the way that parents will be able to assist in lessening the stress for their children at home um, in addition to um, schooling environments? What would you suggest so far as maybe uh, some tips or some strategies that parents can utilize in their everyday life um, sure. in, their fam- you know, in their family life? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you a slightly long answer here, so please bear with me, because I think we need to paint a bit of a background picture here. Society's success is reflected by the success of its children, and children's lives reflect adult values. So what is really important for us as Muslims to understand is that we must be role models for our children. The Prophet ﷺ was a role model for us. The Quran tells us, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا Most certainly for you in the example of the Prophet is the best one to follow. So we must be examples for our children. As I just mentioned earlier, children learn through observation, through imitation, through repetition. So they will be what they look at. They will be what they read, and they will be who they emulate. So it's really important that as parents, we take an active interest in our children's development and in their lives, and that we are the role models for them. Because if we don't be the role models for them, then they will start following some film stars, some pop stars, some music, some sports person, which may not be bad in its entirety, but is that really the route that we want our children to go down? So what we need to do is we focus a lot, especially in, in my culture, which is a Pakistani Indian culture, and I'm sure it's you know, across the board because I've seen it and I've dealt with people of all backgrounds, that we actually focus quite a lot when we're bringing up children on culture. But actually, culture is only skin deep. What we want is to make something that's core deep. We don't actually want to give lots to our children when we go and leave them lots of stuff, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, property and wealth and whatever, but rather we want to leave values within them which are going to help them to look after themselves to sustain and carry on with their growth. So the most important thing that parents can do, coming now to the crux of your question, is actually take an interest in, in what uh, our children do and to follow the example of the Prophet. And he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, when asked which is the best way to bring up children, he said seven, seven, and seven. So the people said, Ya Rasulullah, please explain. And he said, for the first seven years of your child's life, from when they're born until the age of seven. And in fact, some scholars some uh, scholars say that you, know, you should even start when, when the mother finds out she's pregnant because the first um, attribute that a child develops is that of hearing. That's the first skill they develop. So if you're reciting the Quran, if you're happy, the child gets those vibes through the mother. So for the first seven years, the Prophet said, play with them in such a way that you build trust and build rapport with them. So they will do as you want them to do, and you will do with them. You will spend time with them. You will give them your most valuable commodity, which is your time, and they will translate that as love. 
Then in the second in the second period of seven, from the age of seven until the age of fourteen, the Prophet said, "Now teach them." Because you've built this rapport with them, you've built this trust with them, they will learn whatever you want them to learn. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you teach them at home, even if you send them to school. What this means is you take an interest in what they did at school. So you sit down with them in the evening. You say, okay, son, daughter, what did you learn today? Let's have a look at some of your books. Not just flippantly, what did you do today, and then just not ignore you know, the answer that they're giving, but actually sit down with them and spend that time with them and develop that bond even further. Then when they get to the third stage of seven, from the age of 14 to 21, and they go out into the wider world and they start develop, developing themselves as adults, because of the trust and the faith they have in you, when they face problems and issues, they'll come back to you because they believe in you, rather than going to somebody who would rather they didn't go to. So the crux is spend time with them, invest your time in them, because they translate time as love. Indeed, indeed. I remember reading a quote <laughs> that said, children spell love, T-I-M-E. Hmm, so that's really right. Uh, excellent. Seven, seven, and seven, which is simple enough from the best of examples. Some of the audience, some. Uh, just now, out of interest, Lachie, just out of interest, that same seven, seven, and seven is now being mentioned in more and more books to do with parenting. And the first book that I'm aware of where it was mentioned was uh, the one where it's uh, men are from uh, Mars and women are from, are from Venus. Yeah, uh, Dr. John, John Gray, Gray he exactly. actually mentioned it. Dr. John Gray, he mentioned it in his book. But you know, Subhanallah, it came to us 1,400 years ago from the Prophet's wisdom. Indeed, Alhamdulillah, it's amazing when science finally catches up um, with the science. <laughs> it is definitely uh, amazing. Now, here's the, here's the challenge. Many times we ask what we can do or what we should do. Mm-hmm. Like I just, um, you know, asked you with helping develop um, the emotional intelligence of, of our children. And investing in them. So I also like, you know, again, in your experience as a coach and um, working with over 30,000 different children to speak on the opposite. So what are some of the mistakes that you see that are across the board, across many different cultures, that our children, unfortunately, um, are kind of studying? So what are some of the mistakes that parents are making that you would encourage um, against right away? Because I see a lot. But again, mm. it is lovely. It would be great to hear from your perspective and sure. what you've experienced. Sure. No, that's a great question. I think one of the, the, the fundamental mistakes that many parents make, and, and let me just put a little caveat on this. I don't think in all the experience that I've had in dealing with parents and children, I don't think there are any parents out there who deliberately set out to make these mistakes, who deliberately don't, are not interested in their children. Yes, there may be a few in the minority who, you know, have their own social uh, problems that they need to deal with, and as a result of that, their children also suffer. But generally speaking, parents do want to do the best for their children. But one of the fundamental mistakes that I find that people make is that they almost delegate their responsibility of their children to the schools or the madrasas or wherever it is they visit, and they take no further interest in the education of their children. So when children go to these madrasas, when children go to these schools, they learn whatever they learn and they come home and they have no support from home because the parents themselves maybe feel they're not qualified to help the children. And if they're not qualified, that's fair enough, but get some help, but don't just ignore the children. The second thing that I've seen which happens is that um, parents get so taken up, they're so, life these days becomes so busy, and you know, in the hard economic times that we live in, both parents are working. Children don't have that family time. They don't have that opportunity to sit with either one or both parents every day, even if it's only for half an hour, just to talk about what's going on in their lives. The Prophet ﷺ, despite all the troubles he had, 
despite all the difficulties he faced and the responsibilities he had, it is reported about him by Ibn Abbas, who was a young boy around the Prophet, that I never caught the Prophet looking at me without a smile on his face. And that's the very least that we should be able to do to our children. At least smile at them and smile with them in certain things. The third thing that I have seen that happens very often is that we do not set good example to our children. So, for example, we will tell our children, it's time to study, go and study, go and do your homework in your room. Or we will tell them it's time for salah, go and pray salah, or how about reading some Qur'an. But we never do any studying ourselves, and we never engage in, in obvious worship ourselves. So children feel that they are being commanded, commanded to do things that they don't see anybody else doing. So then they begin to rebel, and they develop a distaste for doing those things. So I think these are the three main things, and if we can you know, communicate with our children, if we can spend time with them, and if we can be role models for them, we will begin to address many of the issues that you know, we face, our children face. And at the end of the day, our purpose in life should be to help our children to be independent adults who will bring a positive change to the world that they will live in, because their world will be very different to the one we live in today. Indeed, indeed. Alhamdulillah, you, you hit the point um, right on the head, and that's one of the things that I call the celebrity, or that role model, if you mean, if you yeah. will. Mm-hmm. And the, we many times don't understand the influence that we have when our children are younger. We begin mm-hmm. to recognize it when we lose that influence, and that's one of the most yeah. difficult things I see for parents want to recognize, and then they become reactive as opposed to responding um, in their parenting and being, you know, proactive. But Absolutely. Uh, Brother Nazir, is it okay with you if I could just give you one example of how of the influence that, that, a, that a father can have on a child? Just one small Absolutely. example. Please. Uh, Please. I, was, I, I was dealing with, uh, I had a client, uh, and he brought to me his 12-year-old son, and he said, you know, my son just doesn't study. And can you help him, you know, how to understand the value of studying and this, that, and the other. So I spoke to the father, spoke to the mother as well, and they were both seemed to be quite, you know, professional, good upbringing, good education. So they had a value for education. And when I started speaking to the son, it wasn't that he didn't study, but he didn't, he didn't have a very good methodology for study. So, for example, he would start doing his history homework, and halfway through it, he'd start doing his geography homework, and then halfway through that, he'd also start tackling some maths problems. He would have perhaps music blaring out in the background, and his desk was a mess. So I asked the parents that I would like to visit the house. And I visited the house, and in the living room, wallahi, the father had his files and papers spread all over the living room because he was somebody who worked from home. He had his television in the background, and he also had the hi-fi playing another something else in the other corner. And when I looked at this and I said to him, I said, I said what's going on here? And he said, oh, this is how I work. I work best this way. I said, do you really work <laughs> best this way? And I said, do you understand that you are influencing your son here because your son is doing exactly the same thing. He starts one thing, then goes on to something else, and he has this music playing in the background. I said, I would like you to change. And then without saying anything to the child, let's see if the child picks up on it. Actually, within four weeks, the environment, the atmosphere in the house had changed and the son was actually began to do really well at his studies because he developed that focus just from observing his father. SubhanAllah. <laughs> Indeed. Alhamdulillah. It's amazing because when it's learning to walk or talk, and, you know, these are very complex things, but we don't know. Um, as little children, that word can. We just do, we imitate, and we move forward, and many yeah. of these things are subconscious. So Alhamdulillah. Excellent. Excellent. Now, what about... I, I get questions about, like, sibling rivalry, for mm-hmm. example. And what I mean, I have um, 
eight children. I have four daughters and four sons, and well, you have two children, but of course you come across, you know, many Muslims, we have large families, so there's sibling yeah. rivalry. So now yeah. I want to ask you just a few specifics related to some um, topics in your perspective on different questions that I may get. So mm-hmm. how would you suggest dealing with things such as sibling rivalry from a core perspective? Again, we already talked about culture being skin deep, but from a core, yeah. uh, core perspective, how would you help us out there? Sure. Okay, again, a beautiful question and one that I think everybody who's involved in parenting faces at one time or another, both personally and also as as a coach out there. So my thoughts on this are, they they sound very simple, but I've practiced them in my own family uh, with my nephews and nieces, and I've shared them with many of my coaches, and alhamdulillah, these techniques have worked time and time again. Sometimes they take a little bit of time, but that's where patience comes in. And sometimes they take a little bit of time because both the parent and the child need to get used to the new way of doing things. But one of the best ways that we have found in dealing with family issues, especially sibling rivalry, is actually to sit down as a family and to talk about how we would like to be. Many times when sibling rivalry comes to the fore, it's about parents turning around to the children and saying, I don't want you to do this. And this is why, because we live in very much in a don't world, Children grow up knowing what they don't want to do, but they don't have this ability to define what they would like to do and what they would like to do with their siblings as well. So one of the things we do is is we get the family to sit down, mother, father, and however many uh, siblings there are to sit down, and actually to talk as a family and talk about simple rules within the family, how we must behave with each other, how we must interact with each other, how we must take the initiative to do things for each other rather than wait to be told. And this is all based upon an intrinsic level of reward rather than a material level of reward. Because a material level of reward, Akhi, is nothing more than bribery, and it doesn't teach the child anything. But if it comes from an intrinsic level of reward, so they do something to gain the pleasure, to gain that satisfaction that you get, that contentment, and also knowing full well that at the same time Allah is also going to be pleased with you, it works. We then take it one step further where there is increased rivalry between the siblings, is we sit down and we agree rules and we agree sanctions. And it's the children who write these down, not the parents. The children write these down and they agree to the rules and the sanctions at the outset together with the intrinsic reward. We then have a regular family meeting once a week where we discuss how we are doing against those plans. And because everything is laid out cleanly, everything is understandable, the kids have agreed to it in the first place, And they also know that should they cross the boundary, then the sanctions will be implied. It begins to make a huge difference. Now, many people have said to me, oh, that's too formal, that's too businesslike, and never work in a family situation. And all I've said to them is, try it. Take your time and try it. And the only time you have to invest is in setting this up in maybe the first, maybe three to eight weeks, I would say, investing that time in making sure that it gets off to a good start and it embeds itself. Once it embeds, It works like clockwork, and when it begins to work like clockwork, you don't have to deal with the issues that you were having to deal with previously, so you're saving on your time. Indeed, indeed. It's it's funny you mention that because I was just um, on the West Coast doing a few workshops, Mm -hmm. and we started to talk about discipline. And the Mm -hmm. same complaint that you mentioned, oh, no, that's too formal, and then I had to remind these people about Islam. Yeah, obviously how Islam is about, it's a religion of discipline. Doesn't it tell us how often we have to pray, what times we have to pray, what the rules are for fasting, how to perform will do. It gives us all of these things so we don't have to be boggled down with it trying to make it up. So 
How did he not? It is um it is great to see because I know it, it it absolutely works. It also teaches and encourages responsibility. So the method of having them, you know, make the rules of that code of honor, alhamdulillah, is That's excellent, fine. excellent advice. So And and just one one one, one 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 additional point that I would make there is when we sit down and discuss these rules and regulations and we put down sanctions, we actually get the children to come up with the uh with the sanctions. And the reason mm-hmm. we get them to do that is because one of my bugbears, one of the things that I like, what I pursue the most in my parent coaching, is actually to enable our children to think for themselves. Akhi, Islam is not a religion that encourages blind following of anything. We are not meant to be sheep. We are not meant to be clones. We are meant to be individuals, and we need our children to be able to think for themselves and think of the, the benefits and also the the, the the opposite side of the benefit as well as to what's going to happen and when they thought about it just that process of analyzing the act and its outcome will actually stop them from doing something that they will be uh, have a sanction endorsed against them indeed and how many parents always say you know to think before you do this to think and how many times I'm telling you this is a very very effective piece of uh, very very wise information right there that really implementing our family of children of all ages, especially the younger, um, the better. So alhamdulillah, excellent, excellent. Now what I would also like to go into here is um, schooling. I have a saying where I basically believe that schooling is different than education. I remember a quote that I heard Mark Twain, I read about that Mark Twain said, you know, I never let schooling get in the way of my education. Interfere with And I tried... You know, exactly. Now, I tried Montessori schools with my children, the other private schools, I tried the Muslim schools, mm-hmm. and even my youngest son that went to, you know, the public school at a very young age um, before children got too rowdy. Now, please help me understand or help us parents understand if they are going to send their children to school, what to look out for and what to deal with, and also um, other methods of schooling or academic education. Okay. Bismillah. I started off with my children by sending them to school as well. But I had a totally different approach because I'm involved uh, in various organizations here in the UK, and we also have an organization called um, the Muslim Parents Association, of which I have the honor of being the chairperson. And as as a result of my involvement in this, I know that what goes on in schools is actually, frankly, dangerous for our children if we're not involved. I said a few minutes earlier that many people, many parents, delegate the responsibility to the school, and that is something that we must never, never do. So if you must send your children to school, and I understand for a variety of reasons that you know people will send their children to the local school, the local state school, or even a private school, whatever school you send them to, the fact of the matter is that the child, whatever they learn at school, must be embedded at home, and what they learn at home must be embedded in the school as well. So go and speak to the teachers, and let me talk from a U.K. point of view here. In the U.K., the way that schools are run is that they're funded by the state, but then they have a, set, a, a, a panel of governors who actually dictate the policy within the school. So we have actually spent the last six, seven years going on a governor recruitment drive where we're getting parents to become governors in the schools, because once they become governors in the schools, they set the policy for the school. They set the starting time and the ed time. They set the curriculum. They set what facilities are available within the school. So, for example, uh, there's a local state school here at which I'm the chair of governors. This is a state school. It's a non-faith school, and yet it has a Juma Jama'a every week 
We allow the children to fast and break off early during the Ramadan months if it happens to be at school time. Uh, we do a Zohar Jama every day, and in winter we even do the Asr Jama in school as well because that's within school time. We respect and value all traditions, but we celebrate Ramadan and Eid as if it's a Muslim school. When the registry is being taken, the, the, the children's name is, take, take, uh, is called out, they respond by saying, Assalamu alaikum, I'm present. And this is whether it's a non-Muslim teacher or a Muslim teacher. Because the ethos that we governors have, have demanded is in the school is that of an overly Islamic being. Because 97% of our children are Muslims. Now, right. just down the road from us, there's another school, Akhi, which is exactly the same school, exactly the same kind of input. And they don't, the children are ashamed when you go in and say, Assalamu alaikum, and they just turn away. They don't know what to do. Because they never hear that in the school environment. So the first thing with schooling is be involved in your child's school and be involved with your child. Check their homework diary every day and sit down with them and assist them. And if you cannot assist them because you yourself don't have the knowledge, find somebody who can. Find siblings, find older cousins who can help. There are plenty of people within our culture and our community who can do that. The second aspect is that if you have a faith school to which you can send your children, that's a better option. However, many faith schools struggle for finances, so they don't have the same number of resources that perhaps a state school would have. So you need to be careful about making a decision here. Would you like to send your child to a school where they're going to have access to good resources in order to have a good education, or do you want to send them to a faith school where they may actually suffer because of a lack of resources? What good is it being a Muslim if you're not skilled to take on the world as a Muslim because you didn't have the resources around you? And then the third aspect is homeschooling. Homeschooling is something that's really taking off here in the UK. We've been doing it for the last two years. And alhamdulillah, it's, it's a real struggle because there's a lot of time investment. But at the end of the day, I believe that whatever time myself and my wife invest in our children, that is what's going to come back and, and hold us in good stead in the future and also in the akhara, we hope. You can get help from homeschooling. There are plenty of homeschooling forums. You can buy homeschooling curricula. Uh, so there's all of these resources that you have access to, but you must be clear that your children are your responsibility. When the Prophet ﷺ, after the Battle of Badr, had captured the non-Muslims, they came to him and they said, how much do you want, how much ransom do you want to release these people? And the Prophet ﷺ, although he desperately needed money for the sake of Islam, he did not demand any money. He said, I want each one of those captives who is able to read and write to teach ten of mine to read and write. Now, if you consider that, that was the first school set up under Islam where all the students were Muslims and all the teachers were non-Muslims. That's the value that the Prophet ﷺ put on education. And it's, a, it's, it's one of my biggest regrets that in our community, we need to fight really hard to redevelop that value for education and learning. Indeed, indeed. Well, alhamdulillah, I hadn't thought um, about that, so that definitely gives me a new perspective about that, that first school, especially with the teachers, obviously being a, not only were they non-Muslims, not only were they non-Muslims, they were actually enemies of Islam, for they had fought in the battle against the Muslims. <laughs> yes, and, and then Allah. he returned the fight again, you know, saying, well, alhamdulillah, it's just um, yeah. amazing. I mean, alhamdulillah, how deep uh, this deen is, how many different parts of our lives um, yeah. it can affect. Outstanding Muslim Parent. Dot com.